Welcome back to the Mysteria podcast. I'm Marcus De Silva, and joining me today is Mr. Jeff Jarman. Uh, Jeff is a real estate agent based out of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and I'm very excited to speak to him today about oh, quite, quite a few different things. Uh, we'll talk about the crazy real estate market in Vancouver and uh, talk about some of the skills that Jeff has developed throughout his professional career and how those have helped him to excel in his field and whatnot, and probably a couple tangents along the way. So the usual shenanigans, which is always a good time. But thanks for being here, Jeff. It's great to have you on here. Thank you very much. So I think for you, I think probably probably can just start right in um, as far as you're talking about your journey uh, professionally. And then I think we'll just kind of go from there. But Let's just go right into uh, whereabouts that you grew up. Sure. So I grew up in um, in Burnaby, Burnaby, British Columbia, which is just outside of Vancouver, and um, and then I went to uh, Burnaby Central High School, graduated there, and then went to UBC in Bachelor of Commerce, and got a degree in, in commerce, and then started working for a CA firm, and also. Um, I worked for a CA firm for a while, and then I worked for Royal Trust, which is Royal Bank now. And then, then I got into uh, real estate. So, and I got into real estate fairly early in my twenties, and um, and did a lot of work in Burnaby, and also I do quite a bit of work in downtown Vancouver. And so, uh, how did you get into the the banking and? And then the real estate thing, how, how did that sort of develop? Sure. So what happened is in, in commerce, I graduated in accounting. I, I specialized in accounting. And um, the reason I went into accounting is because my, my father thought that was the, the best way to go. And I think with my, uh, the way I think about it in life, I, even though accounting wasn't my strong suit, I thought I could do anything uh, that you put your mind to. And I did, I did graduate and I did work for Coopers and Library, but I just found the, um, that environment there was just not for me, uh, the big, the big uh, uh, firms. And so, so then I, and also I felt that I was always more, um, I guess my strong suit was marketing. Uh, the Dean of uh, UBC Commerce uh, told me that <laughs> uh, in a very nice way. Um, and so, so then, I went into, I thought, well, you know, I have a business degree. I'll go, I'll work downtown. I'll work for Royal Trust. And uh, I got my mortgage license and I was selling, uh, I was selling uh, mutual funds and things like that. But then I found that um, I was making a lot of money for, for Royal Trust and, and not making a lot of money for Jeff Charm. And so I feel that if you're good at something and you're good in sales, it's, it's better to, to work for yourself. And, and that's how I veered into, uh, residential real estate. So that's, and then I started my career then, and I started working uh, at uh, Burnaby uh, in, in Burnaby North, and then I moved to Burnaby South. So, so uh, yeah, when I started, and now I've been doing real estate for, for 30 years, and I'm still smiling and not burnt out yet. And so, <laughs> so it was a good decision for me, because if you're good in real estate, you can be successful. And if you're not good in real estate, you won't last. I think the stats are three uh, 75% of the, um, 75% of the realtors don't last three years. Hmm. So it's a lot of attrition. So, so it's, um, a business that, uh, 
that's not for everyone because nobody's telling you to that you have to be at work at 9 a.m. and push a clock or anything. So and you have to have a balance too, otherwise you get burnt out. So so it worked for me and and I'm happy and I'm still still selling real estate. And is the attrition rate, uh, that's pretty high. Like, is that really just more with the fact that there's a lot of the the self-discipline, self-driven side of it? Kind of like how you mentioned, like, nobody's telling you, like, you got to get up and you got to go to work. Like, you kind of have to be a self-starter. But what what are some contributing factors to that? Yeah, that's a good question. The, The contributing factors are, uh, uh, well, the first one, yes, you have to be a self-starter, disciplined. The second thing is, is you you have to uh, you kind of have to break through. It's really tough as a new realtor breaking through because the experienced realtors, you know, we're not selling shoes or anything. We're selling uh, usually people's most expensive asset. So so you have a hard time to to break through. Uh, and also, I think you need to save up some money. So that you can spend on on you know advertising, promoting yourself, promoting your your few clients, and I think uh, that's the way. Also, too, there's a lot of realtors that that um, it just wasn't for them. Just like accounting wasn't for me, uh, real estate wasn't for them. And then another thing, you also get uh, people that have finished their work, and and then as a second job, uh, they would like to go into real estate, and they're not uh, maybe not suited for it or uh, they don't have the uh, the work ethic because they've they're kind of um, you know uh, want to semi retire and and real estate is a job that you can't do part time part time you'll never be successful because you have to do it full time uh, a job and 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 so if you don't put everything into it then you're not going to get everything out of it and then it's just a situation where where you're competing so when you do a listing appointment you're going against other realtors for a listing. So it's very competitive. You're always, a lot of times you're going against three, four realtors at a time. So going against those experienced realtors, they've got all the statistics behind it. They've got the sales record behind it. Everybody knows them in the neighborhood. So that's that breaking through is, is, is difficult. And then, um, and then once you, you break through, then you, you've got to keep it up. So some realtors, they broke through, they were all happy and then they kind of rested on their laurels and, and, and then all of a sudden uh, they weren't doing as well. So, so yes, it's not a job for everyone, but those are the main things I think. Uh, and then the, the thing is you have to have confidence. And if you lose your confidence in this job, you're, you're in trouble. Confidence is probably the main, uh, as, as it is in every, I think every industry, confidence is, is so crucial, right? Because you're being interviewed every time for every listing you're being interviewed. So it's like when you go to a job, you know, you get interviewed, get through all the interviews. Well, that's what we as realtors do week in and week out, interview after interview after interview after interview. So uh, I think that's good. And then another thing is you have to treat your, your real estate like, uh, like a business. Some realtors treat it as a salesperson, but you've got to have administrative assistance, another realtor assistance. Uh, you need to have a, a team behind you uh, because you, you can't do everything. And that's when you get burned out and you'd like to do what you're best at. So for me, um, you know, it's not the best use of my time doing uh, paperwork and getting all the social media ready and getting my highlight sheets ready. My time is in front of customers, negotiating deals, making sure that um, that that I'm doing their showings. Everything that's very important, I need to be doing. And so, a lot of realtors don't set up their their business like that, and then it's hard for them to be uh, successful. 
so long-winded answer, but that's uh, that's a lot of things that contribute to success and and also making sure that you you grow your business and and you get recognized. And once you're recognized, it's just like a snowball going down a hill. The snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and people call you, and and that's that's the best thing when people are calling you. Then you get referrals, so then your business grows from referrals. Then you're known as a realtor in the neighborhood. So now people call you because you're in the neighborhood. So, so it just grows and grows and grows. And when it grows, you got to make sure that you're not working seven days a week, you know, uh, 10 hours a day or you'll be burnt out. So you have to block off time to keep your energy so that you continue in real estate. Because some, some realtors, they burn out and, uh, and then they, they, they can't do it anymore for health reasons or, or just can't take it anymore. So you've got to really have that, that strike that balance is really crucial. Yeah, that was a great answer. You said a couple things there that I'll, I, I want to uh, mention really quick, but uh, I guess the first one would be, I'm really happy that you said, um, talking about breaking through and then once you've broken through, staying there. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a pattern that you can really see emerge, particularly when you look at sports. Is that the, the mm-hmm. effort that it takes for a team? Well, I guess even with... Uh, the the recent Montreal Canadian run to the Stanley Cup final. It's mm-hmm. like, I think one of the things that uh, Brennan Gallagher said, and kind of a lot of the Canadians were saying this as well, was that they kind of understood how much effort it took to get to the final. And then once they were in the final, then it's that next level of, okay, we have to step up our performance. And then unfortunately uh, didn't work out so well. Tampa played pretty good series, kind of steamrolled them a little bit. But I, I guess that that attitude of thinking that the hard work is over once you've broken through and it's like, no, actually now the real work begins because now you got to stay there. And obviously professionally, you want to keep going as well. So, Yes. And so to add to that, what you what's interesting is that you you can always, um, even though you're uh, because I'm in the, the top 1% of, of all the realtors and, um, and being a top realtor for a while. And the only way that you can be a top realtor is you also have to change with the times and you have to be current and you can learn. Like I learned from younger realtors, like there's a realtor, James Garbett. He's a, he's a top, top realtor. Well, he started, I, I gave him uh, a lot of, um, good advice. And, uh, and now he gives me a lot of good advice. And, and so, and he, th- he looks things from a different perspective. And so you can always learn, you can always do better and you can always change. So uh, when I started the business, just by the contracts, give you the contracts, there are carbon copies, you know, those carbon copies you tear away and you give to the client. Now everything's paperless. Right. So, so it's gone from carbon copies to paperless, you know, you've gone from faxes to scanning uh, and now you do DocuSign. And so uh, those sort of things. So you just, those sort of things that you have to, you have to change. Right. And, and also a lot of times for realtor, it was, you were right in front of the a seller when you are presenting your offer and I was representing a buyer and I'm right in front of them negotiating the deal, talking to them directly. That was the common place. Now everything's done uh, on the on the phone or texting or emailing. 
So, so I'll, I never, I never have the opportunity when I'm negotiating to ever talk face to face to the seller when I represent the buyer. So that's changed. So there's a lot of changes. So you've got to, you've got to change. And, and if you reference to hockey, you know, hockey's changed so much since the the nineties to now. So everything changes uh, and you just have to be current and you have to be on top of it and you have to, uh, you don't want to be a dinosaur. So, so that's the, that's the key. I think uh, a lot of, in a lot of ways. And then, there's a lot of things that the new realtors don't really understand. And because for example, mail outs, uh, you know, notepads, things that you send out to the homes, they're still relevant. You know, I still get business from that. I get uh, quite a bit of business. Whereas the new realtor and it's more economical, they do everything through the social media. So what I try to do is I try to do both. And, uh, and, but I, I'm not as good at it. So then I hire people that are, that are good at it uh, that can do that for me. So staying on top is yes, you have to have, you have to be smart. You have to still have the passion to do it. You have to also um, be current and, and, um, and, and be competitive. You have to be, you have to have some competitiveness into it. I mean, my daughter once said it was pretty funny because <laughs> I was, she, her best friend is a, is a, is a realtor and, and, definitely he he has some like i have a balanced life but he has a much nicer he's playing tennis playing golf he's doing all his things and um and he, my daughter goes to me dad you always want to be at the top you can't handle not being at the top you can't handle it and i just laughed and shrugged shrugged it off and then later i thought oh yeah i think there's something to that i think she's right i can't handle that but eventually i'm going to have to so i'm just like you just can't keep on going you def definitely have to and and, and I'll be comfortable with that at that time, but I'm not comfortable at, at this time. So, so yeah, staying, staying um, on top uh, requires a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of discipline in that. And also too, you've got to have that balance. Balance is, is crucial because uh, if you don't have that, um, when then it's, it's not really real estate's not worth it. It's not worth uh, being a successful realtor if you don't have balance and enjoy life because uh, as you know, it's a short, like we're on this planet for a very short time. So, so it's a tricky balance, believe me, it's a tricky balance, but you gotta do it. And it's, that's one of the main things, in my opinion, what I'm going through now, it's, if you ask me, I repeat myself again, one is confidence, being confident in what you do, believe in yourself, what you're doing, but also make sure you have some sort of balance, something that you like. So for me, I love sports. So sports is a big outlet for me, either playing sports uh, or, uh, or and watching sports. And it was, Yesterday was tough because I'm, I'm trying to watch Wimbledon, trying to watch the World Cup, and I'm trying to watch the Stanley Cup all one day. It was a very difficult uh, process. <laughs> so, so there, and and I sold a house, <laughs> so I had to, I would, I had to balance. Very good balancing, very good balance. I had four offers on one listing, and we we're going back and forth, and I'm trying to work support. So that was a little bit of a tricky balance that one yesterday. So yes. It's funny that you bring up uh, balance, like the idea of, of balance, because that, that's a question that I get asked a, a lot about, uh, more so, um, you know, I got a few different projects that I'm doing. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm busy with, you know, my commitments and, and responsibilities. And, and that's a common one that uh, people ask me is like, oh, you know, like, how do you maintain balance? And for me, it's kind of like, uh... <laughs> You don't, <laughs> yeah. you just go a million miles an hour. Right. And that's fine. That's fine for, uh, when you're really young and, uh, 
you can kind of get away with that for a short period of time, but yeah, eventually like you really do have to, um, mentally, physically, you know, you will burn, you will burn out. That, that, that's just the reality of it. Um, but for you, like maybe just from a, a personal perspective and then, um, maybe even for, just from your observations of, you know, without too many details or whatever, but from some of your observations, um, how do you, how did you attack the situation on maintaining balance? Because the yes. tricky thing too yeah. with that is that it is, it's a, it's a very dynamic situation that you always have to adjust your, your approach to it. But I'm curious to, uh, to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. So that's a very, very good question. And it's like a key question, I tell you, and it, and it transcends past real estate. Anybody that works for themselves, right? Uh, they say, oh, you like to work for yourself, but you ended up working harder for yourself than you would if you're working for somebody else. <laughs> and, um, and you got into the job of working for yourself because you could pick your hours and then your hours aren't chosen because you're working so hard. Um, and so what happens is that um, depending on where you're at with your situation is that uh, as a realtor, typically not the COVID time, but typically December is slow. January is slow. August is slow. So what I do is uh, I've gone to South America, I think 28 times uh, in the December, January time from uh, as little as two weeks to up to about six weeks. And so I have an assistant that, that, that helps, but it, you, it's hard when I'm not here to, to create business. So I, so I go, go in the slowest time of the year, I have my batteries recharged, and then spring is usually the fastest uh, time of the year. That's the most active time of the year. So I know I'm, I'm working hard. So, so when I say balance, it's, um, sometimes it's not a, a weekly balance. Sometimes it has to be longer because when the, when the sales are happening, um, you, you've got to, you've got to be there. And if the market's super hot, you've got to work harder for the, for that, uh, at that time, because that's the chance of making some good money. And then in August it slows down. So, and which is perfect for our weather. So I go to South America when the weather's really nice. And then I, and then in August, take some time off August before, for the fall market. So those are my long-term within a year, uh, way of balancing. And then what I do during the week and stuff, I'll, I'll block off a lunch with a friend. Uh, I'll, I, I play hockey, so I know when my games are. I'll never miss games. Another thing I do is on Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night, uh, the only type of working that I will do is if there's offers. If there's no offers, I don't do showings of houses on Friday night, Saturday night, or Sunday nights, 95% of the time. Uh, and so that leaves those, those nights available and for some downtime, because as a realtor, we work seven days a week. So a lot of times I'll work seven days a week, but then I'll book off a whole afternoon during the middle of the week, or I'll book off a morning. And the, the advantage of that is when I've had you know, children, I was able to go see all their sporting events and everything. And I could, I could make sure I just book off those times. And then, uh, and then I work, um, you know, uh, maybe later at night or early in the morning, and, 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 and make sure that, you know, I'm present with my kids and stuff. That's important. Went to see all their, all their activities in, over the years. I didn't want any regrets at, at all. And so that was good because now they're 17 and 19. I'm still watching my son play hockey. And so I think that, um, I think that's where you have the balance. You have blocking off time 
And then you look at your year and you block off vacations or, or whatever works for you. Uh, and, and it's hard to, if you have a stay vacation, that's really hard as a realtor. Yeah. I, re I recommend you go out of the country and say bye-bye. And, and now, of course, telephone is so cheap. My, my phone bills in the 90s were, were big because what I do uh, for me was that I would check in. I would feel better that I just check in how things are going and, and then, then go from there versus not talking to anybody for four weeks and come home and it might be a disaster and then I'm all stressed out again. So, so I was one that always liked to check in how we're doing and, and making sure that everything was good. Uh, and then I felt comfortable on my, my vacation. So I think that was crucial. And I've talked to a lot of other top realtors and a lot of them don't have a balance. They don't have a balance, you know, uh, they just work, 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 work. And that to me, you know, just blows me away. First of all, how they can and not be burnt out. And, and two, you know, I don't understand, you know, in life, you got to be able to, to, to enjoy things you enjoy. It's not all about work. Right. So, but to be on top, you still have to work a lot. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to sugarcoat it. You have to still work hard uh, when you're working because you, you won't be a top realtor otherwise. And, and the, the nice thing about being a top realtor is you always have an advantage when you go into an interview, you always have that advantage because you're a top realtor. So you're, you know, you're, you're, um, you're ahead of the game before you start the interview. And, and so that's another reason why it's nice to be a top realtor, because again, it's easier to win those, those uh, listing uh, competitions. Yeah. Well, a couple of things with your answer there. <clears throat> uh, first of all, the, the fact that um, you, what I like is that you have a little bit of like big things that you do and little things that you do. So I like that, that kind of understanding that, you know, you can, depending on your personality and your personal life, you know, if you have family or if you're saying, you know, whatever, like you can adjust and, and do things that can kind of recharge your batteries in a small way, in a big way. And that's always great. And then also, I think the, the most critical element to that is just how active you have to be in, you know, like I have to set time, you know, time, chunks of time to rest and to go away and, you know, things of that nature. So that, that's quite a, that in itself is, is actually a fairly, um, depending on, again, depending on your personality, that can be quite a, a challenge in itself, just, just to do It that. is a big challenge. Yeah, it's a big challenge, and, but you have to have outside interest, you see. So for example, I have uh, tickets to the season tickets I share. I can't, I don't go to all the games, but I, I go to maybe 20 Canuck games. I go, I have season tickets to Seahawks. I go, that's a nice, because that's a nice uh, one day or, or a couple of days. So, so I, I see about four Seahawk games. And then, um, then you know, I like uh, bike uh, moto GP. So I've, I've traveled with friends to go to, to there, to Italy, to... Uh, Austin, Texas. I'm a huge tennis fan. So I've been to the US Open, I think three or four times. I've been to Wimbledon a couple of times. And so to me, that's, oh, that's on my bucket list. So I have a bucket list. As you get older, by the way, you need to start on your bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you gotta, you, you gotta start working on that bucket list. So, and, and that, and that really, really re-engages you and makes you fresh because I can tell when I'm burned out. What, one of the reasons I could, I said, you know, got, I mean, I always get excited. Oh, I got it. You know, I got a negotiating a deal. The adrenaline's flowing. Well, if there's no adrenaline, and I, oh, I, and I'm going, oh no, I've got to. They want to put it off from my listing. 
oh, I'm not really, oh, really? Okay, I'll do it. I know I need a holiday right away. <laughs> so, because, and that's how I know when I've hit the, I've just gone too far and I'm, I'm not doing enough breaks, you know, I'm not booking off enough stuff and I haven't been a holiday for a while. I know that's the trigger when, I'm, when I don't even get excited about, you know, putting an offer together because that's the, that's the key to the real estate is to, is, to, is, to, is to close the deal. It's all about closing the deal and getting the, the, the best, uh, best price for your, for your, for your client. And I think that's a good indicator too, actually, just having listened to, to you say that. So when you notice that your passion is being affected negatively, that's probably a good sign that you got to do something, you know, that you're bur burning out or burned out. Exactly. Exactly. That, and, it, and hopefully you try not to get to that level. You try to, you try to be able to, to, to keep a nice, even keel. But in my 30 years of doing real estate, I know there's times where I go, oh, I need, I need a, I'm working too hard. I need a break. So, like you said, it's a, it's, it's a like striking a balance is very difficult. And for you being younger and stuff, it's even more difficult because, because your perspective is different as a, as a person growing their business and becoming more successful and trying to, to really, really get a grasp of what you're doing and, and doing it well. And that requires extra effort over other people so that you can be successful. And so uh, I think it's a different perspective. And I always tell realtors that start out, I said, you know, get that balance early and, and you'll be, and that's a big, big advantage for you. But, but, um, and I, I, you know, I, I strongly feel that. And, and by getting a balance, what you do is you, you hire assistants so that you have more time and also you're doing things that you don't want to do because there's things I hate doing now. Before when I started, I, I, I'm like you, I'll do everything, you know, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it, do it, do it. Now I don't want to do any of that stuff anymore. So your perspective changes. And so the key, one of my mistakes was I didn't get insistent early enough. I think, I think it was five, five or seven years, five to seven years before I actually got assistance. So I tell upcoming realtors, as soon as you can afford it, if you can afford it after your second year, just get a part-time assistant, just get assistant because that was one of my biggest mistakes, not getting an assistant early enough. And now I have, uh, I have a full-time administrator. I got a part-time administrator and I've got a full-time realtor and I've got another full-time realtor just coming on because my other realtor um, decided to do a different business. So, so you, you know, have, have those, and then you have to decide how big you want to be. And for me, that was a, a perfect, uh, perfect mix because I'm still hands-on because there are some huge teams of real estate where they have 20, 20 realtors and uh, 15 realtor teams. And, and I, that wasn't something that, that, I, that interests me, but having assistance will definitely any realtor that's, you know, listing now uh, is a key, key, key thing. Having assistance as early as you can afford it. Yeah. And just maybe about the re relating to the, the culture of real estate at the time when you were starting out. So the first five, seven years of your career, was that really unusual um, just comparing yourself to your peers to not have uh, a, an assistant like that? Or what was the, what was the culture at that time? Yeah, that's a good question because um, when I started uh, when I started in 1991, um, there was, there was far, far less, uh, assistance. There was never teams of 20. 
Um, what, what was more prevalent back then is partners, you know, that you, 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 but it's very difficult in real estate to have a partner. Um, for me, the way I saw it, is there somebody that if I could find somebody that can work as hard as I can or work as smart and, and, and have the same sort of goals and same aspirations, um, that would be an ideal, but there is very, very difficult. So I have a very, I have excellent assistance. Uh, but I was never able to um, think partner, you know. And so I think back when I started, there was partners and that helped people. Uh, and they were, had an assistant here, assistant there. But no, the whole real estate has transformed as one of the, that's one of the biggest changes. And it's nice you brought it up because now there's, uh, if you, you know, there's there's realtors that have been in business less than five years, have got assistants and and uh, that's the way, and that's the way to go. And when you go into a listing presentation, like for for example, I did this morning and, you know, um, if a realtor goes against me and it's just one realtor and I charge the same commission and I got me and I got four other realtors behind me to, to, to help out uh, to sell your home, it's a quite, a, um, quite a tall feat for that realtor, just a standalone realtor to, to win that presentation. So that's the way it's going. And then, of course, I have to compete against, real, you know, uh, um, real estate groups of 20 but I find it's easy to beat them because, because it's so diluted now. It's gone overboard. So now you're not getting, you're not getting the person you're talking to in the listening presentation is not the person that's going to be working for you. So it, it gets too big. And, and then you lose the personal, the personal touch and you lose the person, the most experienced person should be doing all the work. And, and these big, in these big ones, uh, that's a lot, not, 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 not the case a lot of times. So, so, um, so yes, but that's how it's going. It's going more and more for assistance than that. And I think that's good. It's better service for the, um, the better service for, for, uh, for the homeowner, right? So I think that's good. Relating to that, what I'm wondering is um, how important is it to, well, okay, obviously the answer is gonna be very important. Um, but how important is it to maintain the I'm trying to think how to, how to word this? Okay. Let me back this up. Start, let me start over. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you did mention this earlier that, uh, and I think most people understand this is that a house purchase is pretty much like the, the biggest purchase that anybody will make, or, you know, maybe they do it multiple times throughout their lifetime, once, twice, mm -hmm. however it may be. Um, but it's a significant life decision regardless um so obviously correct if that's the case uh people need to trust you your your clients need to trust you or potential clients at least need to feel that their values are being heard and understood and that they're going to get the the best um service for you know to match th this big decision that they're making um and so when you mention, you know, like those big teams, there becomes a point where I guess it's like diminished returns because you get so many people involved on a team that then you lose a bit of that personal touch, which can maybe not be so great for the client. Um, so having said all of that, uh, then I'll ask you the question, um, how important is it then to um, maintain and to, and to build trust with, with the client and, and what are some methods that you do uh, to build that rapport and that trust? Yeah, so that's again, another good question. 
Uh, you're coming up with good questions. <laughs> <laughs> I do my um, best. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Um, well, it also for, it depends what before. So let's just say a listing presentation you're going into. Um, if I'm if I'm being referred, uh, that's already helping the trust uh, issue because somebody they know referred me. Um, if they see my signs around the neighborhood a lot, the, the trust uh, factor is, is increased uh, um, significantly. Uh, if they see my, my, my advertising a lot, that, so, there, so you come in a lot of times um, with a very good, good feeling. Uh, but to answer your question, um, without all those, so say that there was no referral, it's, uh, there was no connection, um, they, they just, maybe they saw me on my website or some, just one thing, the, the trust issue has to be developed. So, so when you're doing a listening presentation, one of the things that I always I, I emphasize is compatibility, is that because I, I go through all my stats, um, top 1%, 22 years, 10th out of 14,000 realtors, number one in Saturn Group, I go through all that and that's credibility. And that's, that's a very uh, strong, uh, very important to get across without coming across arrogant. You know, you've got to, so that's something that's very important, but just as important or even more important is compatibility, which includes trust because the, that's so, so important. Because when I started real estate, I had a university degree, I had some marketing experiences in other industries, uh, but I had zero uh, performance, credibility, um, nothing, no, no sold how many homes in need per year. So compatibility was what I had. So one of the things I do is the real estate board requires you to have a contract. Um, usually it's a 90 day contract. And what I do is I, uh, I supersede that contract by saying anytime you want out of this, out of this contract, no cost to you the next day, go with another realtor the next day, you can have an unconditional release and you can go to another, uh, another realtor right away. So we don't really have a contract. And, and, and I say that because I said, you know, I want you to work, want you to want me to work for you. And conversely, I, I, you know, I wouldn't want to work for somebody that didn't want me to work for them. Uh, it's stressful and it's just not a good Good. It's not just not a good setup. So, so, so that's, that's when you start with the trust and then how you explain what your houses were, how you explain that in a, a very open book way. So um, what I do is um, I will actually say some negatives about the house. I'll just be open book. A lot of realtors are trained. Don't say anything negative, say everything positive, but I don't do that. I say, I say, here's the positive, here's the negatives. I also talk about if this price doesn't work, here's the next price that we should be at. Oh my goodness, now he's talking about price reduction and he hasn't even hired me yet. So those sort of things that you're doing, that develops trust because that shows that you're not scared of not getting the listing, you're brave and you're just going, here's an open book. This is how I, I'm just saying it, how I feel. And these are the positive, these are the negatives. And, and I'll be able to explain some of your negatives of your house. This is how I explain it. But, but you're going through it and, it and it really does base on, on, on trust and making, making sure that you're trying to get away from a commission salesman's, uh, you know, they have, a lot of them don't have a good, good reputation. Commission salesmen, people are wary. 
You know, we're talking, oh, commission sales, but oh, what's it going to, you know, so it's, so you're, you have to realize that you're going in also, you're not going in like a, like a doctor, you know, the, the doctor is full of trust. You know, you go see your doctor, see your, your realtor, you're thinking, okay, what's going on? And the trouble, the way that real estate is set up is you're competing against other realtors. You're trying to get the listing, but you want to be open book and honest. And to get that, to get that across, you know, it's uh, it's a lot of realtors can't do that. So you've got to be able to to show the 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 trust. Like you you know, if you're too negative on their house, they'll say, well, this realtor doesn't believe in my house. How is he going to sell it if he doesn't believe in it? So you you have to say these are all the good parts, which is true. These are the bad parts, which is true. And the and there's all the comparables. Here's and 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 you work it right out and you explain everything so so they understand. So you're basically educating your client while you're doing the presentation, and you're coming through uh, as trustworthy as you can, right? And attention to detail usually helps with trust. And and also um, when you're finished the the presentation, you're also saying you know um, I'm going to respect your privacy. Uh, I'm not going to phone you afterwards. I really uh, uh, would love to list your home, uh, but um, but I'm, but I'm not going to uh, continue to phone you. And, and because you'll have other realtors phoning, how's it going? Are you going to pay? Going on? And that's that commission salesman mentality. So I'd rather lose a listing going that route. Uh, and I found over the years that you can be successful and you can be successful uh, being, uh, being trusted and, and having them feel comfortable because yesterday I did a listing presentation. It was all about them, older couple, them feeling comfortable, very, very comfortable. And then the person today, he said, well, I've never, this is the first time I've sold my house. So I've had lots of questions for you. So I kept saying, let's make sure you're comfortable with everything. You know, as the, the, what I always say, and I learned this from a UBC professor, he always said, there's, um, there's no stupid questions. You know, you're stupid if you don't ask the questions. There's no stupid questions. In the real estate, you know, we're in the we're in our UBC. We don't want to ask the stupid question. Everybody's got their heads down. Okay, someone asked for someone asked, and it always stuck in my head. And when he said, "Okay, we know you all want to ask ask this question, but nobody has the has the guts to ask it, so they don't." And uh, so I always say this, to people, because they're going because they're this is the first time they've done it. Like you mentioned, they, a lot of people they haven't they don't sell and buy houses a lot, so. So they're a little bit nervous and, and then you want to calm them down and just say, you ask, I want you to ask every question because you, I want you to hear my answer and, 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 and back to comfort, be comfortable about everything. So trust is, is huge uh, in, in, in real estate. A few episodes ago with, uh, with David Morton, he's a, he's an actuary. And we talked about a couple of those things that you mentioned, which was uh, the attention to detail and communication and how that flow between you and the client and how that allows you to build uh, and to do it honestly, uh, the critical element there, and how that allows you to not only relay the information uh, to your client, which is what you get paid to do you're an expert in your field and you know if they could sell their own house they would sell their own house so there's a reason that they turn to a realtor like this is just the process um but that dynamic of free flow of information between the client and um 
the the between you and the client um how that can allow for that relationship to build and develop and then ultimately you you maintain their business and if you can do that effectively then your reputation will start to speak for itself too and that's what it seems like um that's kind of one of the things I was sort of hearing from your answer too, and kind of throughout the podcast so far is just how critical, because um, literally people buy you on your name, you know, quite literally. So the the importance of that. Yeah, and then and also too is it's the tricky part. Uh, just to, for emphasis, is that as you're being an open book and and you're being brave by by mentioning these things, you're also competing. You know, there's other realtors trying to get that listing. There's maybe two or three you compete against. And, and so, and for me, I take a, I take a positive approach. I never, I never attack my opponent. I don't think it's professional. So I just say positive things, positive things, positive things, and, and go and go about my business that way. But, but it's not that easy um, because you have these forces pulling, these realtors have these forces pulling them. And then they, they overprice, for example, a listing, they price it so high. And they know it's not worth that, but they go in there and they say it's worth this, this amount because they figure, okay, you know, maybe I don't have as much experience uh, or maybe I just don't know this area very well. So I'm going to come in with a price that they're going to love. I know I can't sell it for that, but once I have them under contract, I'll, I'll get the price reduced. And then my competition has gone because I have it under contract. So you compete against, you know, people like that. So you need to be able to explain that price really, really well. Uh, because you know that there's going to be one realtor at least that's going to come in higher than you uh, to 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 do that, and that's just not you. It, honest, it's not being honest. It's just uh, it's it's a cutthroat uh, situation. Them trying to trying to do that. So you have to battle against battle against that while you're being honest and and uh, and open. So that's another thing. I just want to add that one there <laughs> to your to the answer. <laughs> Well, and that's, you know, you can end up shooting yourself in the foot because you, you kind of come in, you, you come in under the radar a little bit with, you know, a competitive price and, oh, they're going to love this and I'll get them under contract, da, da, da. But then if you fail to execute that, uh, especially if, if, you're think, if you're already thinking that before you've even attempted to sell the house, I mean, that must not be a, uh, that just sounds stressful to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no, but they, their plan is the plan is, is they price it high. So they get the listing based on price. And then what happens is their plan is to reduce that price to the price where maybe I said it should be before. And so it's a, it's a plan. So they're not stressed at all. This is, this is, uh, this is how they do it. And this is a, as a game plan. That's we call it in the business, buying a listing. And then they, then they reduce it. And so for me to counter that, I bring that up. I'm, I just bring it up. You might, uh, you, you, and, and again, it's not personal to a realtor, but um, I, I would say that at, at my price, I justify the price. If there's other higher prices, then you, you, um, you need to make sure that they, they give you the proper comparables for that. And, and, and I think that's a better way of doing it. And then um, what you can do as an honest realtor too, you can say, well, if you like all the qualities that, that I have and credentials, uh, and you don't like my price, um, then, then, uh, what I would say to you is that I can, I can, um, I can go with your price, right? I can, so don't, don't not choose me because of price. 
So, so for me, I'm being honest, there's a higher price. I have the listing. Uh, if I'm wrong, which is great, then they get a higher price. But most of the time I'm correct uh, based on the data that I looked at. And then they reduce the price to where, to where it should be in the beginning. So there's ways of combating that and being honest. So that's how I combat that. I just say, I'll match, I'll match whatever price if there's higher than me. And uh, because I don't want to lose your listing. So I've won listings where my price is not the highest. And then I either, they go with my price or they say, well, would you like to price it here? And I say, yes, I'll price it there. Yeah. That's really funny how you actually have like a, a term to identify that tactic, like call it yeah. buying a listing. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like, Correct. it's kind of like, you know, uh, like on an NFL pitch, you're like, oh yeah, shotgun <laughs> offense. There we go. That's what they're doing. But you just can identify yes. it right away. That's quite funny. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I want to switch gears a little bit here. Um, sure. Just because, um, so obviously uh, Vancouver real estate or you know Burnaby, uh, which is lower mainland uh, to British Columbia mm -hmm. there. So that, that's kind of the geographical area that you work out of. Um, but for people who don't know, um, the Vancouver real estate market is uh, pretty notorious for being outrageous because uh, it's quite expensive and it's been growing uh, over the years and we've had quite a number of uh, uh, explosions in, in the real estate market. So I, I, I don't know a whole lot about it other than looking at the prices of houses over the years going, holy crap, look how expensive this is. So that's my extent, uh, uh, my knowledge there. Um, but I think mm -hmm. it'd be great just to discuss uh, your observations from when you started in real estate uh, to now and and just kind of maybe we'll talk about some of the highlights there and, and the changes in the real estate market in Vancouver. Right. So I think the best the, the best thing is to start at the most recent so that you can you understand what's going on um, in, during, the, during the beginning of the COVID and then kind of carry it through. So so what happened in, uh, in uh, Vancouver? I mean, we are shut down like a lot of other cities in the world. Real estate halted. It was the first time I was able to clean my office. So that was great. <laughs> and I had no, 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 it was the quietest in 30 years. I, it was unbelievable. And then um, Bonnie Henry, uh, who was our, our, the head of our health department, uh, she opened it up um, in July uh, of last year. And, and usually uh, August and July are slow, but the, 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 there was pent up demand for, for real estate. And um, a lot of people wanted to be away from the city. Vancouver, we, we, have, we have a city that lots of people live in the city. It's not a ghost town. It's not when people at five o'clock, everybody leaves. It's bustling. There's people on the on walking. It's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. They're walking on the waterfront. There's so many things to do. Well, a lot of people were leaving. Uh, and buying homes further out. And that uh, coupled with the interest rate in Canada is super low because of, of what's happening with the economy, trying to generate uh, business. So, so people had low interest rates, there was a pent up demand, and, um, and then people were not comfortable listing their homes with COVID. And so there wasn't a big supply. So you've got big demand, low interest rate, uh, not much supply. Obviously uh, economics 100, that means prices go up dramatically. So. Prices went up dramatically in the outer regions. Uh, in Vancouver, the downtowns didn't go up. They actually went down. 
And so um, in October of 2020, all of a sudden the market just started going crazy. Uh, and then it really started picking up in, uh, in February. And so it went right through December. So every month were record sales. And the only thing holding them back was the lack of inventory. And, and then when, when the sellers are getting more comfortable, uh, there's more listings coming up and they, they were seeing the sales in December and all of a sudden there's more inventory. So February, March, April were, were huge months. March was the most active uh, month of all time, of all time uh, in real estate uh, in the greater Vancouver district. And, and uh, prices went up significantly. So for example, you know, you're seeing houses that are going from 800 to 1.2 million, 1.2 to 1.8, 1.8 to 2.5. You're seeing major, major increases. You're seeing bidding wars, uh, multiple offer bidding wars, and, um, and the prices were, were amazing. Now we're sitting in the July, June time. Uh, it, the, the volume has gone down about 40%. Uh, the prices are, are stabilized. They're not going up anymore. But we're, I just sold a house yesterday that sold for just as high of a price as what in the frenzy market. And that's because the prices have established the market and the market hasn't gone down yet. And the inventory is still low enough. The interest rates are still low enough. So now you, it takes longer to sell. You're not going to get a crazy price over the crazy prices of the frenzy market, where you're still going to get a price that was established from the crazy market. So so um, uh, the high end, though, the high end market wasn't involved in this at all because we, we, most of the high end market is bought offshore. And of course, with COVID and also we have these foreign taxes, our high end market is, is, is very slow. So I have, I have uh, six of the most expensive lots in Burnaby and I've, I've only sold two. If that was during the time of a high end market, they would be sold in... Uh, two to three weeks, and so the so the high end market uh, is not is not doing as well. For example, in Burnaby, um, where, where I do most of my work and and, and selling. So uh, and now that the, the the condos are now starting to come around, uh, the prices are starting to go up in the condos. People are starting to go back into the city. Will they go back to the degree they did before? We don't know. But all I know is that. People, I was had lunch with one of my best friends who has uh, his, he, he owns a company that um, does a lot of conferences and that. And they, they, I thought it was very interesting because they said the Zoom, these Zoom meetings are fine and dandy for meetings, but I want to get, you know, if I'm selling something to somebody or, or if we have a very, very um, detailed strategic meeting, I want to be face to face with that person. I don't want to be doing Zoom. So these, he's just busy getting conference after conference, putting them all together now, conferences coming together. So you're probably going to see a hybrid of after COVID of a new business, right? And that all relates to real estate. Now I do residential. I don't do commercial, very little commercial. So I, I stay away from that. But, but the residential, um, you're seeing a comeback now downtown. Um, and I think you're going to see a correction in some of these huge increases from, um, I would say the biggest increases are from the January uh, 2021 to April 2021, when you have massive increases. I think you'll see a little correction uh, down the road. That's just me uh, thinking that because in 2016, that was our biggest ever 
time that was comparable to this time, uh, you saw corrections. And there's some prices in 216 that haven't even come back to now, to, to prices of now, because they paid too much in their multiple offer bidding war and that. So, so, so that kind of gives you a, a recap of the, of the recent and what's happened recent. And I started in 91 and the market was always going up a little bit of dips, you know, uh, 94, 95 was really good. And then two, 216 was just huge. And then of course this year uh, was huge. And so, uh, but in real estate in Vancouver, you're, you're basically seeing a, a, a curve that just keeps on going up and it's being held back a little bit by the government, putting a, a lot of taxes, uh, especially the foreign taxes, because a lot of the, uh, it's driven by foreign money, uh, Asian money uh, coming in. And so they, they're tr the government is trying to hold back um, these prices so that uh, the locals can still, still afford uh, to, to live in greater Vancouver. So that means places that are on the outskirts, further out, maybe an hour drive, hour, 15 minute drive, um, they're, they're affordable. And, uh, but unfortunately, recently those prices have gone crazy because of the, because people want to have more land, more space because of COVID, they can work from, they can work from home. So those are, they're, they're hot, uh, they're going like hotcakes and they're still, and, it, and it's still quite active in the outer range. So the outer range has done much better than Burnaby. Burnaby is only like 15 minute drive from Vancouver, 20 minute drive. So, so they're kind of just outside of Vancouver and they've done well, but the ones that have done really well, the ones further out. So, so that kind of gives you a recap of the market. I want to go back to uh, <clears throat> the real estate market um, after this quick tangent, but I want to ask you, um, just because yeah, for whatever reason, I find it interesting, but uh, commercial real estate versus residential real estate. So you mentioned that you, you kind of stay away from the commercial side. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How different is selling commercial real estate to uh, residential or, or just, or maybe just in general, why do you stay away from it? Uh, yeah, that's a good I question. <laughs> that's a, that's a loaded question. Uh, and <laughs> people will have different answers. <laughs> yeah. People have different answers to it, but I mean, I had a, I have a, a commerce background. So when I decided what I want to do commercial or residential, I had to really uh, think about it, which way I wanted to go because of my background, I could do both. And, um, I think at first um, to break through on commercial, it's harder. You know what I'm saying? How hard, hard it is breakthrough in residential? It's even harder to break through on commercial so it's a, because it's a, and then back in the days, and I don't think it's bad now, it used to be an old boys network, you know, it's so connected where listings wouldn't even come on the MLS. It would be, oh, I know a guy and he knows a guy and, you know, I've got a listing here. He has a building here. It's all connections, 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 connections. And it's very political. And so I think, um, you know, going from a very political environment where I, where I worked in a, a big firms, I, I really wanted to stay from, away from the political aspect of it. So I think that's, that's a, a major thing. But I, again, I know some commercial realtors and they're, you know, great people and they've done a, a good job and they're enjoy their job, enjoy their living. Uh, but it just wasn't, um, I just saw too many red flags at the beginning that said to me, I think, um, and I think also too, is that um, you have to figure out what your strengths are. So I thought my strengths are was, was, it was dealing with people. Um, and, and when you're a commercial realtor, you're, you're dealing in a business atmosphere. 
It's more black and white, straightforward. Whereas real estate, you're dealing with emotions. People are, you know, this is where they're going to live. You know, this is where their kids are going to the school. Uh, it's, it's personal. So I felt that my personality uh, can, dealt with that uh, better than having to um, get involved in a very uh, old boys network political trying to break through uh, setup. And that's when I was doing in the early 90s. I don't know what it's like now because I'm pure, I do a little commercial if I'm requested to do so. And if I, and, or I refer it to another commercial realtor. So uh, and that's 90% of the time I'm referring to a commercial a realtor because I try to stay just with residential. You can have too many hats sometimes. So, so, well, so I think that's the, the main reason uh, that I thought my personality is more suited to residential and I didn't want to get involved in all the politics of, of the commercial real estate. I'm glad I asked that question because I never would have guessed that that would have been the answer. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, would would yes. have guessed that. But yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So quick tangent there, but I'll, I'll bring it back. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, probably for most people in Vancouver, or at least in in British Columbia, even throughout Canada, probably have a decent idea about the influence that foreign money had on the on the market um but for those who aren't from here um would you mind just kind of going into into that a little bit more just a little bit more detail yeah that's a it's a really interesting because being grown up in in burnaby um it, it was like a whole society is being transplanted really um because when i went to school elementary school in burnaby and where I am in Burnaby, I live in the Buckingham area, um, Deer Lake area, which means to other people, it's one of the it's one of the nicest areas in in Burnaby. And I was fortunate enough that's where my parents uh, bought a house in the in the 70s, and um, and so there was you no know, 90% Caucasians uh, going to the school, and now the same school, it's about 90%, maybe 85, 80% Asian people. So it's like somebody has just moved the countries, you know, they've moved the, the countries. And so um, it, that's, that's a, a massive. And in and, and Burnaby, I probably sell 80% 80, 80 to Chinese people too. 80% of my buyers from my listings are, are, are Chinese. And in the high-end area, it's probably 90%. So, so um, you know, I, I have a, a listing uh, that I, I said I just sold uh, for 2.5 million, a nice home, and uh, four buyers at the same time. All four buyers were were Asian buyers, so um, it's it's uh, the, it's a huge transformation. Um, it started in uh, um, with uh, Taiwan, you know, uh, they the, that that country. Um, what happened there is that they a lot of their people retired here. And I remember I asked him, I said, aren't you one of the people, and this is how I found out, I asked one of the Taiwanese uh, buyers, I said, aren't you, are you homesick or don't you miss all your friends? And he said, well, no, all my friends are here now. I don't hardly have any friends in Taiwan. They're all, they're all here. And I go, wow, okay, so more friends are here. So, and then with Hong Kong in 1995, you know, um, with the transfer with the British, then lots of Hong Kong people came. Uh, and, and so that happened. And then after that, it was Chinese came 
Uh, and um, and the interesting about Chinese, you had young people coming from China, uh, young uh, people, um, not as affluent, but wanted to come to Canada and make this their home. And uh, they're extremely hardworking people and uh, and trying to get a home as, as a young person. So, so and then of course you have the very, very rich uh, Asian people coming to Vancouver, because if you look in the world scale, uh, I would say, uh, without looking at all the statistics, uh, Vancouver um, probably has uh, one of the biggest uh, Asian populations in the in the world outside of the of their homeland. So, um, you know, it used to be in the old days, it used to be San Francisco and that, and there, there's a there's a large, but there's it's just uh, it's a major connection point. Uh, Vancouver, you know, one stop, uh, you know, and and uh, the, here it's there's so many. Um, Asian restaurants, there's Asian uh, malls, there's Asian um, um, papers, television, everything. So it's um, it's uh, it's it's nice, and they love uh, they love Canada. They love how safe Canada is, and they have so many friends here. The infrastructure is here for them, and they love the weather because our weather is mild compared to the rest of Canada, and they love our our you know our gun rules. You know, they like they feel that that uh, Vancouver is safer than the states, most part of the states. So, so that's that's when I ask them why why Canada, and that's what they and that's why they tell them. So it's a huge transformation in in, in real estate. And so what's funny is I'm uh, I think I'm the uh, one of the few top Caucasian realtors in Burnaby. <laughs> so, so, but I have assistants that are. Um, you know, Asian that, that can, can help me. But you know, what's really amazing is all the Asian people, their English, most of their English is very good. And even the, the older Asians, their English is quite good. You know, you can talk to them uh, for the most part. I'd say 90%, 85% of the Asians, uh, their English is fine to, for me to talk to them and, and converse. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a huge transformation from when I was uh, in elementary school to now. Uh, and, and it's not only in Burnaby, it's, it's, uh, it's um, in, into other cities uh, uh, surrounding uh, Vancouver. Um, and I think that um, also people wondering, but I, I don't think there's a huge amount of uh, problems with, with racism here, considering the transformation is so huge. If you look at the, such a huge transformation, I think they, the, the, that it's, uh, I don't, wouldn't call it a melting pot, I think that's too generous, but I would say that it's it's pretty good. You know, it's it's a pretty good uh, people getting along and stuff. And also, what you're seeing in the second generations now, uh, they're they are adopting all the Canadian uh, traditions and how what Canadians are like and assimilating great. And then you have interracial marriages and stuff. So so it's a completely uh, changed uh, city for sure, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and, and it's amazing too how relatively quickly th this all happened. Very quickly, so quickly, it's unreal. That's why I say it was like they transplanted. Like they just <laughs> said they got up this group and they just loaded them up. They, you know, beamed them up or whatever they did. They just play. it's just unreal how the transformation was. And so what happened? A lot of the Caucasian people who couldn't afford the real estate they moved further out, and the infrastructure now further out is really nice. You don't have to go to Vancouver. There's beautiful restaurants, malls, parks, everything on the outer part of Vancouver. There's no need to go into Vancouver unless you want to see a, a sporting event uh, or you want to be on the ocean. Um, and so 
I think um, it's a it's an amazing change. So um, I think that um, a lot of, for example, a lot of my schoolmates, hardly any of them uh, stayed in Burnaby. They all moved further out to to uh, to more affordable areas. And these affordable, when we were kids, they were farms. Now they're they're cities with with, and we're talking high end stuff too. We're not just talking your outer city strip mall. We're talking. Re, you know, you you got Porsche dealerships out there. You've got beautiful restaurants and pubs, and it's 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 quite it's a very nice nice place to live live uh, out out um, further out from from Vancouver. So it's transformation is is, is massive, yeah. And I'm wondering because obviously the the transformation was was quite quick. Um, for you as a realtor, uh, were there any challenges that maybe you noticed uh, dealing with a different um, type of client now? You're dealing with people from a different culture, different society. Um, have you, did you notice that there was a bit of an adjustment period, maybe just trying to understand like the, the subtleties and the nuances of their culture? And then once you understood that, how you could better relate to your clients? Yes. Yeah, so I thought that again is a very good question because it was a very damaging situation because uh, a lot of, um, you know, I feel that I could be more, I stayed in this area. I didn't move. A lot of agents moved to an area that there, there was more Caucasians and stuff because it's just natural. You know, it's natural that a Chinese person wants to hire a Chinese realtor that's a, that, that understands their language, understands their customs, understands everything. And so I feel that I, you know, my biggest mistake probably is not moving, right? So it's, it's not moving to areas where I have an opportunity to have a bigger audience. Because no matter how much I advertise, no matter what I do, there's, there's definitely, I'm not going to get the, there a lot of the, the Chinese listings. Now, having said that, I, I just sold a house and they were Chinese. So I do get Chinese listings, but uh, not as many as I could. So um and what I find is, is that even if I have a Chinese assistant, that's not good enough. They want the main person being Chinese. So I found that out. That was a new one I found out. Um, and so, but another thing, when one time I went to Japan and I, I saw everybody, oh, number one Korean barbecue, number one onsen, where you have a massage place. And I kind of clicked and I said, ooh. So I started really advertising, oh, number one realtor with Sutton Group. Uh, and I pushed that top 1%. So the, the, the Asian people will respect a high-end realtor that does a great job. And so some segment of the Chinese population will say, hey, I'm not going to select a Chinese realtor just because he's Chinese. I'm going to hire the number one realtor, the one that really knows this neighbor, the one that's the best. I'm going to hire that person. And a lot of times if, they, if they, I don't speak English, okay, my kids will, will, uh, will talk to them. Or uh, they'll know that I have an assistant, they'll talk to them. But it's mostly they know enough English, and if not, then it's the kids. So, so I was I'm able to get Chinese clients and everything. But it's it's funny because I'm I you know I'll sell a Caucasian home to a Chinese uh, buyer, and then well there goes that you know I'm gone there because now the next time that Chinese person will buy, a lot of times will hire a Chinese person. So I've been able to become be successful. But um, I'm aware of that, and I wasn't willing to to move out. But what I did is I moved into some areas that were were less Chinese. Uh, I did a slight move, but not a 
and not a like complete right, I'm out of here. It was like, okay, I'll pop over here, uh, an area in New Westminster that's with character homes, older homes, uh, Asians, like they prefer newer homes. And so I went over uh, into the New West a little bit for the, into the key, did a little few sales in the key and that, but, but I think um, a, a big thing that I learned is how to negotiate against a Chinese person. You know, how, because the Chinese person like to lowball. And if you lowball a Caucasian person, he's going to go crazy. So I have to, to educate my Caucasian person and say, look, we're going to get lowball, but don't worry about it. That's just part of the program. We, 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 can, we can go down $5,000 only or something like that. And I explain to him how we're going to negotiate. So one of the things that I love the most about real estate now is negotiating because that's where you use your brain. It's kind of like playing poker. And so, so it's, um, it's, a, it's exhilarating for me after 30 years and I'm still doing it. And, and, and so I know um, that the, a lot of the Chinese people, they, they don't like to lose. They like to save face. They like to win. And so you have to structure your negotiating so that you think they win, but we got our price. You know, and and you've got to be patient with them. And then some of the Chinese, the way they negotiate, what you do is you don't even counter them. And it, and it, sometimes it just drives them crazy. I know they want the house, but you don't counter them. We say, we'll run out of room. Uh, or they'll say, oh, this is my final price. Well, we didn't like the final price, so we didn't we didn't respond to it. And then they, the Chinese realtor come back to you, why didn't you counter? And you said, well, I said, what's your final price? Uh, no, you can counter me. Oh, okay, I guess it's not your final price. So the Chinese like to give you uh, fake final prices more than any other culture. So I don't want to come across selling racist or anything, but I'm just saying this is the way. The Chinese are the best negotiators, for sure. And you need to know how to negotiate against them and you need to beat them at their own game. And you need to throw in some wrinkles that they're not ready for. So those are the things what you want to do. And you, you, want, to, you want to make sure um, that your clients are not going crazy because, because the, the, especially the Caucasian client, they just can't handle this. Just why can't we come to that price right away? And we go back and they sometimes 20 times because you play, play their game. It's if you make a reference to hockey, right? You know, Tampa Bay, they can play a rough game. They can play a skill game. They can play uh, a game where their goaltender steals the show. They, they, they have so many different games they play. And as a realtor, you in negotiating, you have to have so many different strategies, so many different games to play so that you're successful. So that's a, being a sports nut like I am, that's a good analogy. So, so that's, a, you know, how I changed my game is on negotiating because I've had so much experience going against Chinese uh, realtors, Chinese, uh, uh, you know, uh, sellers, buyers. And uh, so that's something that you really want to do, right? And uh and then uh, dealing with the Chinese realtors, that's uh, with their culture. You have to, you have to, um, you have to, you have to be able to, to figure that out too, uh, because um, they work differently uh, from their culture as a Chinese realtor uh, than, uh, than uh, local realtors do. And so you need to be aware of, of those differences because when you're negotiating, Sometimes the realtor is the most important aspect of the negotiating. And if you and the other realtor aren't getting along or, or in sync, even though you're negotiating against each other, this deal probably is not going to go together. So you've got you've to be able to, to, uh, to understand um, how the Chinese realtor, uh, a lot of them, how they, how they think and how they work. And you respect it. You respect it, but you don't back down from it.
You, you hold your card, you be very assertive. One of the key things I say when I'm, when I'm uh, being uh, asked to, uh, for an interview is I stress that I'm a, a very assertive negotiator and I'll never push my own client to take a deal. I'll recommend, I'll, I'll recommend, but I'll never push. But on the other side, I will work hard for you. I will push, I'll be very aggressive. And I feel the best thing with, with uh, realtors that are really good negotiators or really good Chinese realtors is that you win more negotiating battles by being aggressive than by being scared they're gonna lose the deal. Because if you're scared to lose the deal, they've got you, they've got you, right? And so, so that's, that's uh, one of the main things is, is be aggressive, be aggressive, be aggressive. And then the other thing is listen to your client. If your client can't handle being aggressive and they're really old and they've got health issues, that's when you have to back off and, and try to get that balance between being as aggressive as I can, but not stressing my own client out because this is too much for them. And that's what I learned as an older realtor. Because when I was a younger realtor, you know, I thought maybe I wasn't listening to my client enough and I got a list of my client because they got health issues. But when you're younger, you don't even think of health issues. And when you're older like me, now you think of health issues. So, <laughs> so I've, uh, that's one part I've learned and I've changed uh, is to really listen to your client when you're negotiating and not be maybe as pitbull as you can because they're too stressed. But um, yeah, and, the, and, the, and also to protect your client too. Because your client, oh, I'll take that price. That's a great price. No, 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 no. We don't want to do that. We want to keep on going. I think we can do better. Uh, because you know who you're negotiating against. So you don't want to, your client be nice, easy going. And then the other side are pit bulls. You, you've got to make sure you're, you're a pit bull to, to, to be able to combat that um, and represent your client well. So as you can tell, I love negotiating. I can talk about it for a long time, but um, that's one of the things uh, to answer your question about uh, the Asian market. That's really, you have to have uh, your, your negotiating game uh, because they're, they're, they're going to, they're going to try to eat you up and lowball you and all the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really happy that you said that because it is absolutely the case that different uh, cultures negotiate differently. That's absolutely the case there. I mean, and that's a blanket statement, but you know, generally speaking, it's like a trend. You'll notice a trend, you know, relevant to a particular um, yeah, a particular group that that's just the way it is. And, and I know, um, it, actually, it's funny, in the first season with Jason Boza, um, who's the owner of Palladio Jewelers in Vancouver as well, um, we talked about that as, as well, it was like how different, um, okay, this, you know, the Italians are going to kind of do this is their strategy, and the Croatians, this is their strategy, or Americans, this is a strategy. So you really do, um, as someone who and on the surface that might come across as like, oh, like that's insensitive or somehow racist exactly. in some way. And it's, exactly. it's absolutely not the case. It's actually the exact opposite because what we're saying is that you have to understand the nuances and, and the culture and that helps you relate better to your client. That, that's the key. It's, it's not about, oh, you know, this is what they do. It's like, no, not at all. Correct. It's like, you have to understand yeah. the rules of the game, you know, and different yeah. people will bring their mentality and you have to adjust accordingly. And, and especially um, not only if you're representing that particular client, so you, you have to relate to them, they have to trust you and, and back and forth and that dynamic, but also your, your counterpart or, you know, a different 
uh, opposing realtor, you have to understand what kind of negotiating game they're playing so that you can play the game too. And then, you know, and ultimately win. That's, that's the point. So yeah, it's, it's critical to be um, conscious of those because it, again, it, it helps, br it bridges the gap, not, not creates a bigger one. It absolutely bridges the gap. Mm -hmm. And also to add that is you, you're, if you have a Chinese realtor and he is a Chinese client and your client is a Caucasian with a different way of, of thinking, the Caucasian realtor, you have to, you have to talk to them in advance because a lot of times they're insulted. You're, they're, this price is insulting me. And so you have to understand and explain to them that no problem, we're not going to be worse off by this, but we need to engage them. And we need to understand um, that I don't want you to be insulted. It's what happens at the end of the time, not at the beginning. What, once we're finished, if you don't like that offer, we don't accept it. But at the beginning, you, they can start wherever they want and let's see what happens. And, and, and then we go from there. And then I have various strategies from there. But that's, a, that's one of the most important parts is to get your client on board so that they don't get so emotional that we can't get the deal together. Uh, for for everybody, and then what happens? A lot of times, the Chinese um, realtor they'll start if they like the house, they'll start screaming up. So our increments going down are far less than their incremental prices going up, and then and, and that's where you know, and that's when you know now you're in charge because they want the house, and they're going up, and we're not going down as so much. They're going up, we're going up, and that's when your client uh, who is not not used to this type of of uh, negotiating is then they really truly understand. What I'm, what I'm trying to do, and if that uh, that buyer uh, is who did the lowball and doesn't come up much, well then um, you know then it becomes about value and price, and and they don't really feel that the price is worth where it is, and it, it gets away from negotiating. So so those are the things, the telltales that you're always telling your client and educating your client so that um, so that they're calm and they can make their best decision possible. Just as a, a side note on, on the negotiation side of things, uh, just for the listener in general, um, by far the best book I've ever read on negotiations is uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Um, <laughs> just definitely the best one. I've read, I think I've read about four or five different uh, negotiating ones and his definitely stands out. And it really challenges your um, preconceived notions on negotiating and, and what it means to be an effective negotiator. And it's just an unbelievable book. So yeah, I can't rave about it enough. It's a really excellent book and, and it'll help in, in um, any number of ways. All we do is negotiate all day, every day with each other, we're negotiating. It's just maybe in subtle ways that you don't notice. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely mm -hmm. a skill that uh, is, is, incredibly fascinating as well. So I would just recommend that book. Uh, figured I'd throw that out there. Um, well, well, I could add never split the difference is the, the funny part of never split the difference is, is what is the difference? Because if you're negotiating for a house and you, you give them like, it's like poker, you give them a false final price and they want to split the difference. Well, they're splitting the difference from a price that's not our final price. And maybe they're splitting the difference with the price. It's not their final price, right? So splitting the difference sometimes um, is not what it cracks up to be because that's not the real difference, uh, if you follow what I'm saying. Yeah, well said, well said. Um, 
I mean, we're coming. I, I, I'm always amazed at how fast these podcasts go by. I mean, we're just breezing through. So um, we'll kind of one thing I want to wrap it up with, uh, or the last topic I want to wrap up with is, uh, and this is pretty much me talking, um, which is for young people, um, particularly, you know, for me, I born and raised in, in Burnaby and, uh, you know, we're going to be living there as far as I can see, um, you know, so that, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be my future for the next little while. Um, but just generally speaking, um, I'll kind of throw it to you as like a two-parter. I'll, I'll, I'll say maybe specific to uh, Vancouver, then maybe just generally speaking. Um, but what uh, advice can you give to uh, somebody who's going to be entering uh, the housing market in the, you know, next kind of five years, I suppose, um, kind of both in Vancouver and, and just in general, um, what, what advice would you give to them as far as, you know, the, the home buying process? Well, first of all, I would, I would say to them to, when you're renting, you're, you're paying for the other person's mortgage that owns the place, you know, and you're, so when you have a mortgage, uh, parcel, part, partial of that is a principal, you know, going against your, your principal and it's getting equity. Um, so I, I recommend that uh, if you can, no matter what price point it is, uh, is to get into the market as quickly as you can, because now you're part of the market. And if you look historically in Vancouver, the market has gone up um, uh, consistently much more than it's gone down. And if you hold anything for longer than two years, you've always made a profit. And of course, there's tax advantages to that too, because that's your principal residence. And so you don't pay any gain on the on the increase of capital that you have once you, you move up. Now, where we live, you know, I live in Burnaby, you live in Burnaby, um, you, you, have to, you have to start maybe with apartment, then you go to a townhouse, then you go to a house. If you live in uh, less expensive areas like Edmonton, um, you can, a lot of times you can go right into a house. So, and then you, you buy maybe further out, um, but you make sure you buy something that, uh, for example, an apartment, that's not going to have a, a lot of work that has to be done to it because that just takes away all your profit. Uh, new roof, you know, new new drainage, um, you know, re new new windows. I mean, all these things cost a lot, a lot of money. So you try to get, you try to buy in an area where the apartment or the townhouse or the house is worth buying. You don't want to buy a house that's going to be knocked down. You know, you want to buy a townhome complex that has potential that's going to go up. So, so you try to, A, you try to get into the market as quickly as you can. And, and that means you might go into an area uh, that that's a little bit further out to make sure you get exactly what, you know, what, what's going to go up in value and not be something that's a disaster. Uh, because if you buy, for example, a house in a very expensive area and it's ready to fall down, it's, it's not even worth fixing up It's land value. So when you sell it, you've just lost that, so you go buy a house that's in a further out area and it's cheaper, but it's the house is nice and the, the land is not as expensive, but now you've got a house that you fix up and, and move to your next uh, nicer house. So, so I recommend a, you start early, you make sure you buy the right place. That's, that's worth it. You go to the area that you can afford or the area that you can afford that you get something nice. And then, and then if you can, you, you try to uh, make extra payments to increase your principal. Um, and then, and then you can renovate and then you sell and you moved up to your next, 
home. So it's kind of a, a progression. And so that was, that's, that's why I recommend to, to young people, especially with the low interest rates. Like in 91, their interest rates were 11%. And now, if I said 11% now, people would be dying. 11%. Oh, my goodness. They go crazy when it's 2.5% now. <laughs> oh, it's gone from 1.3 to 7. It's 2.5% now. Holy smokes. What are we going to do? This is a disaster. You know, when I'm going, we're, I remember back, we were happy. It went down to 8%. Oh, 8%. That's <laughs> fantastic. And then, and then my parents, they, they remind me in 1981, it was at 21%. And that's now that's insane, right? Uh, so it's all so the interest rates take advantage of those interest rates, take advantage of the principal residence rule, and don't have and rents are super expensive in Vancouver. And so it's it's the only people that rent are people that either have don't have good credit, don't have a down payment, or are very transient and want to move around all the time. Other than that, there's no sense to, to not buy. And I know I'm a realtor and so I'm biased, but I think it makes sense when I'm when I'm talking. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. Yeah. I, certainly on the on the rent side, definitely because the thing that everybody forgets, especially being in England and, and talking to uh, my British friends, it's always so funny. It's so different over here. But uh, that that idea that yeah, rent is rent is almost unaffordable in Vancouver. It's it's mm -hmm. crazy. It's you know. So the idea of oh yeah, you just rent. And then you buy a, a house. It's like, nah, <laughs> not as simple. <laughs> no, but you can buy an apartment further out, you know, that's cheaper, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's a, a great place to, to end today. Uh, just flew by. I think I, I think before we started, I think I was saying, yeah, we'll record for like an hour or something like that. <laughs> 90 minutes later, <laughs> yeah. as usual. Yeah, yeah that's so, usually what happens. But. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I do talk a lot. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's perfect. That's why that's why I got this, right? This perfect platform. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah no, I just want to say- well, Thank you very much too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for being on here. And I, I had a great time and mm -hmm. always fun doing these. So thank you so much for being a part of this. Well, thank you. And I had a good time too. So cheers. <laughs>